We're in chapter 12. We were, yep, but we're starting. So last week in chapter 10, we were looking at Mary and Martha, seeing the, uh, how it's possible for us to be distracted from Jesus by being busy for Jesus. And uh, Jesus pointing out that Mary had chosen the good part, that she was seated at Christ's feet and listening to him. And, and remember, listening meant hearing and responding to what has been said. So it's not just listening or not just hearing the words, but it's actually living by what Jesus says. And uh, we're in the section, <clears throat> uh, the third section of the book again, the, having seen the introduction of the Son of Man and the ministry of the Son of Man, we're now looking at the rejection of the Son of Man. Last week, of course, the rejection coming from those that are actually serving, uh, and, and they get so distracted by it that they're, they're actually rejecting Christ, and we, we talked about how that can be applicable for us. And now we go on, and we're going to see the necessity for fearing God, and how it's so easy for us to, to fight against that, and we'll see the rejection of Christ with that. And again, it's in chapter 12, and it's going to be the first 12 verses. So I'll lead us in prayer, and uh, we'll take a look at this. Father, we thank you for this morning, for your goodness to us, for your patience with us. We thank you again that you do speak, and we ask for your wisdom to listen, Lord. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Chapter 12, verse 1. Under these circumstances, after so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were stepping on one another, he began saying to his disciples, first of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. But there is nothing covered up that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. Accordingly, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in the inner rooms will be proclaimed upon the housetops. I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear the one who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two cents? Yet not one of them is forgotten before God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear you are more valuable than many sparrows. And I say to you, everyone who confesses me before men, the Son of Man will confess him also before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him. When they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not worry about how or what you are to speak in your defense or what you are to say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. And so I see the pivotal verses in this passage being verses 4 and 5. Speaking of fear, uh, I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid uh, of those who can kill the body, because that's the end of it. It's all they can do. And then verse 5, but he says, But fear the one, fear the Lord, who has the authority to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. So, whom do you fear? Interesting 
fact, uh, Pre uh, President Harrison and his wife were in the White House when electricity was first installed. And they were petrified of the electricity, so much so that they wouldn't touch the light switches. And so it was said that if the servants weren't around to turn the lights off at night, they just went to bed with the lights on. They were so afraid of it. And uh, so I just, you know, just a funny story of fear, but how fear can control us. So whom do we fear? In, in looking at this passage, Christ, with again, you know, in the context of fearing the Lord, he starts off by pointing out to his disciples that they need to beware of the hypocrisy. And particularly, he's talked about the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. In the previous chapter, Christ uh, heals a uh, demonic person who causes the person to be mute. As soon as Christ heals him, he starts to speak, and he's accused by the Pharisees of healing by the power of Beelzebub, who is the leader of the demons, in charge of the demons. So, in, in as you read through the chapter, chapter 10, you see that it, he's, he's, uh, he's having to deal with this. He deals with the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, and he's... And so now he brings it in to, to chapter 12, beginning with after having dealing with all the hypocrisy, having to deal with these Pharisees, he says, beware of the hypocrisy. Now, he starts the verse off by saying, under these circumstances. So I got a little bit ahead of myself, but those circumstances being the accusations and the plots against Jesus from the religious leadership. So beware of that. And the hypocrisy that he's talking about in verse 1 means, and this is, this is interesting to me, the hiding of interior wickedness under the appearance of virtue. So according to moral theologians, hypocrisy is the fruit of pride. You know, we, we say we believe in Jesus, but we actually depend on ourselves. And I know this is the biggest battle in my life. This wickedness is hidden in the midst of religious activity that has no conviction. In chapter 11, in verse 46, it says this, But he said, Woe to you, to you lawyers as well, for you weigh men down with burdens hard to bear, while you yourselves will not even touch the burdens with one of your fingers. So there's an appearance of righteousness. There's an appearance of being right, but it's, it's just a cover of evil. Um, another interesting thing I came across reads like this. He made free use of Christian vocabulary. He talked about the blessing of the Almighty and the Christian confessions, which would become the pillars of the new government. He assumed the earnestness of a man weighed down by historic responsibility. He handed out pious stories to the press, especially to the church papers. He showed his tattered Bible and declared that he drew the strength for his great work from it as scores of pious people welcomed him as a man sent from God. Indeed, Adolf Hitler was a master of outward religiosity with no inward reality. I, you know, I think that's sobering <laughs> to think that that we that, that man that man is capable of such. 
when I give my testimony, um, and, and I get to do it several times a year because of the Torchbearer Centers, at early in the presentation of it, I, I say that I became what so many Christians have tried to obtain. I have obtained what so many Christians have tried to obtain. I said that I was a good person. And you can be, <laughs> you can be really good as a believer, but as miserable as any non-believer. If that's the case, that's not what you were saved for. That's not what the life of Christ in you is all about. That's not what we were created for. Matthew Henry says this, If men's religion prevails not to conquer and cure the wickedness of their heart, it shall not always serve for a cloak. The day is coming when hypocrites will be stripped of their fig leaves. And William Gernal says this, While the Christian commits a sin, he hates it, whereas the hypocrite loves it while he forbears it. And then finally, Charles Spurgeon, No one is so miserable as the poor person who maintains the appearance of wealth. The life of Christ is not a pretense. We don't fake it till we make it. Once had a young man come to me, and it, he was this—he was this guy you would love, dads. You would love for your daughter to bring home. He looked right, talked right. He was well liked. He was—you know—he did the right things. And he came to me, uh, wanting to talk. And in our conversation, he started off, we all went off to talk in private, and his, the first words out of his mouth is, and, and, it, and it just all the, and he was very calm until we got in private, and then it was just a bellowing, I mean, just crying instantly. And in that, he said, I can't take it anymore. Everybody thinks I have it all together. And then his next statement is one I have not been able to forget verbatim, a believer saying this, a, a believer who has the appearance of having everything together, he said this, I need Jesus. You know, do, we, do we recognize our need? Do we fear the Lord? Any thoughts before I keep going? Okay, if, well, I'll give you another chance in a second. We're in Luke chapter 12. You're welcome. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. So if you're going to be resolution to your story about this guy that came to you saying, I need Jesus, I'll claim it. Oh, <laughs> sure, I'll give it to you. Uh, to this day, he has gone on to live a very challenging life. And he's dared to trust the Lord for some impossible situations. And uh, he's, he's been a great source of encouragement to me as I've watched him uh, grow in Christ and, and dare to think beyond his own capabilities. Uh, he doesn't come up with the craziest thing to, to trust the Lord for. He trusts the Lord with the craziest things the Lord brings into his life. And I, I think that's the careful thing. You know, if we say we're going to trust Jesus, we don't go around, you know, if we want to live this incredible 
life, we don't go around thinking of the craziest things that we can do. I have a friend one time <laughs> that decided that, you know, he, he just decided one day, I'm, I'm, going, I'm going as a missionary in Africa. And he didn't go with any, he just decided he was going to do it. He's going to trust the Lord for it. And it was a nightmare of a trip. Uh, he got there, he just picked an airline, bought a ticket. The airline closed down while he was there. He could, didn't have a ticket home. He was really seriously sick. He's in a third world country. And it was just a nightmare of a trip. Um, but what I have found is that, you know, we trust the Lord for what he brings to us, for what he works in our heart. And no matter what that may be, it may be crazy to us and everybody else, but if it's the, uh, the Lord's initiative, then we can trust him for that. So that's, that's something that I've seen this guy do, where he's, he's been in some impossible situations, but it's, it's situations that he believes the Lord's brought him into and he's trusted him for it. So that's where he is now, kind of giving you the, the rest of the story. Yeah. It makes me wonder how many co-spirituals are not like that guy. Oh. Say, you know, I can't live with that. Oh, well, I was one of them. Yeah, it wasn't until after I finished Torchbearers that, you know, I had a lot of head knowledge. I had a lot, I had a terminology change. I used to talk about Christ living in you and through you and having no idea what I was talking about, but I thought I did. It's, it's not till you, till you really come to that point where we're talking about here where you fear the Lord, but you're not going to fear the Lord <laughs> until you know that, that you're the problem. And, and, and that's, that's what he's going to get to here later on in this, in this passage, too. Um, hypocrisy cannot be hidden. We see that in verses 2 to 3. Again, where he says, but there is nothing covered up. These are some of the scariest verses in the Bible to me. But there is nothing covered up that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. Accordingly, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light. And what you have whispered in the inner rooms will be proclaimed upon the housetops. I was, I love Subway. You know, it's just a, a quick place to eat. And I just, I, it's, it's, you know, depending on what you get there, it's a healthy place to eat. Um, but it's, uh, it, it's just, I love Subway. But one of the things that I have been frustrated with, I, found, I, came, I just realized this one day when I was, you know, you want chips with that? I go, oh, yeah. And I look, turn around, and I grab a bag, and I realize, oh, which bag do I want? And I realized that all the bags are pretty much the same size, but not every bag has the same amount of chips in them. <laughs> and, you know, it's, there's, there's, those bags have more air in them than they do chips in them. And I know that there's been times in my life when that's been true. When I, you know, I've just dressed up the outside, I'm puffed up, <laughs> you know, not, not living, you know, full of Christ, but full of myself. And my, my dad was very consistent to point that out at times, you know, you're too, just too full of yourself. And, uh, and he was right. Um, during one of the political campaigns, a delegation called on Theodore Roosevelt at his home in Oyster Bay. The president met them with, the coat, with his coat off, his sleeves rolled up, and he said, Gentlemen, come down to the barn with me while I get some work done. We can talk there. When they went into the barn, Roosevelt picked up a pitchfork, and he looked around for the hay. Then he called out, John, where's all the hay? John replied, from the hayloft, Sorry, sir. 
I ain't had time to toss it back down after the delegation from Iowa was here. You know, it's just, we're, we can be phony. We're good at putting on the appearance, but we can be phony. Now, we, I said those two verses are among the scariest verses to me. And, yeah, you know, I think we all probably have the first thought is, you know, man, I don't want anybody else in this room to know what I have said or what I've done. But it's scarier than that. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. I'm sorry, chapter 4. We'll start in verse 12. So the context here in chapters 3 and 4 has been the rest that God has for his people. He uses the illustration of the children of Israel saving them from slavery, but they will not know his rest because of their heart not being right in chapter 3. In chapter 4, he starts off by saying, now, now he talked about these Old Testament, uh, the Old Testament Jewish nation, and now he starts in chapter 4 to apply it to the New Testament believer. And he says, let us fear, if all a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of us may seem to have come short of it. And then, with the, so in the context of the rest, and the rest in chapter 4 is explained to us as not being something but someone, so the rest is God himself. And so if we want to know this rest, when he gets to verse 12, he starts to explain how it's possible. For the word of God, and the word of God, I believe, in the context of Hebrews, is Jesus Christ. It starts off in the book of Hebrews, God after he spoke long ago. So he talks about, he starts with God speaking. And so now he says here, the word of God, Christ, is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. There is no culture hidden from his sight, creature, I'm sorry, creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. What do you think it means, the phrase there, him with whom we have to do? Yep. Yeah. We have to deal with Jesus. If we're going to know the rest that we were created for, then we are going to have to deal with Jesus. He knows our thoughts. He knows our heart. And he knows what we say in private. And it will be dealt with. I have a, a mentor who told me once, he says, you know, people talk a lot about Judgment Day and how excited they'll be when they get to be face-to-face -face with Jesus. And he says, Kelly, to tell you the truth, I don't think I'm going to be able to lift my head. Be able to lift my head. When, I, when he says, when I, when I finally come to see his holiness, his righteousness, I don't think I'm going to be that comfortable to just lift my head and look at him. And I, you know, that has stuck with me. He said that to me probably 15 years ago. And it, and it, 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 has, it continues to come back, and, and, and I think about this. You know, what am I saying? What am I doing? Where's my heart? You know, I, we can be busy like Martha was last week. 
And Jesus knows it. He knows us according to this passage in Hebrews. He knows us better than we know ourselves. So we must deal with Jesus. If, we're, if we don't fear God, then we are not dealing with Jesus. So verses 4 to 5, he, he starts to talk about that again. So these two verses that I feel like are the pivotal verses in the first 12. To fear, not to fear man, but to fear the Lord. The definition there um, of fear means to be in the state of fearing, to fear, or to be afraid. See, I, I've often heard people say, well, it doesn't mean that you, you're afraid. Yes, it does. To be afraid. When the disciples heard, that, this is from Matthew 17, 6, at, uh, so the, the, the um, Mount of Transfiguration, when the disciples heard this, they fell face down and were extremely afraid. That's when they heard the voice of God. This is my son. Listen to him. They were very, they were extremely afraid. Now, I have, a, I have a fear of my table saw. And I have derived much benefit from that fear. You know, my dad is missing a part of one of his fingers. And I've, I've known other people who've had accidents with it as well. And uh, when my son-in-law and I started, uh, started working in construction, flipping houses, uh, we, we bought this table, table saw, and we looked at each other, and we talked about it. You know, we're going to become too comfortable with this thing. And we, we have. We've become too comfortable with it, and when, we, when it happens, we kind of talk to each other about it. To, th there's, a, there's a healthy fear of it, and we, you know, and we are afraid of that. Misplace fear in the hypocrite who has no lasting power is something that he addresses in verse 4. I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more that they can do. Misplaced fear. Proverbs 29, verse 25 says this, The fear of man brings a snare, but he who trusts in the Lord will be exalted. And you know, I think how much in my lifetime my decisions have been based on fear of man. You know, what will they think? What will they say? Uh, will I be accepted? Uh, and you know, that's, that's contrary to the life of Christ in me. But he goes on, and rightly placed fear in God, who is the believer's provider, source of knowledge, his wisdom and the believer's holiness is, is where our fear should be. Uh, a few passages. Genesis twenty two twelve. Do not lay a hand on the boy, God says to Abraham. Do not do anything to him. Or do yeah, do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear me, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Proverbs 1, verse 7, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. And finally, 1 Peter, If you address as father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. 
I um, was in Colorado last week uh, teaching at one of the Torchbearer Centers, and uh, it, it was a really good week, a good group of students. And I called on one of the um, interns to open up one of the classes in prayer. And we had spent some time together, and I was encouraged by him, and still am. But this is how he started the prayer. Now, I'm going to show my age with this, okay? He says, hey, Jesus, we just want to thank you for the... And, and, you know, right away I was disturbed. Now, maybe I'm making too much out of it. Maybe I'm just being, you know, showing my age. But that's not how we were taught to pray by the Lord. Just turn back to the beginning of chapter 11. And his disciples, Jesus' disciples, ask him, you know, teach us to pray. And so he doesn't give us the verbatim prayer, but he gives us an outline. And this is the beginning of it. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. This is how we start this off. I remember one time, uh, it was just after leading the music, I was back in the hallway here, so this was a number of years ago, and Charlie made a statement from the podium that st this stopped me like this. I remember thinking, oh my goodness, Charlie, and you know, if you, most of you have been around hearing Charlie enough to know that every once in a while he, he's bold enough to say those things, every once in a while, often, and, but I was in the hallway and Charlie made this statement, no unbeliever should come into this building and feel comfortable. And I'm going, oh, Charlie. <laughs> and then the next statement was, because no believer should come into this building and feel comfortable. God is holy. And we need to, we need to start there. That he is holy. Now, what do you think? I want to know what you think with that. You know, if I'm, if I'm making too much out of that, correct me. Help me out. What are your thoughts with that? I mean, I understand, you know, that we're to have this intimate relationship with him because of his initiative. But how should we, is that fear of the Lord to just be so flippant when we go to him? Okay, Porter and I are on the same page. Yeah. You know, all us oldies, yeah. The older you get, the more you realize, well, it depends on how much you do know. I mean, it's just, yeah. Uh, I, I, I said, you were telling me the other day about the first thing came, you know, when Christ, uh, second, when he brought the woman that was caught in adultery, he was asked first, did you, did you know the sin? Oh, it's sin. <laughs> Aware of the sin in I, uh, there's another mentor in my life that is incredibly godly man, and he says, the older I get, and you should, I mean, when you hear this guy preach, you think, my goodness, this guy is just full of maturity and, and wisdom. And he says, the older I get, the less I'm sure about things. And what he's talking about is, is just how, you know, himself, you know, how, how just, you know, how am I before the Lord and dealing with that? Yeah. 
I, you don't know how much that ministers to me to hear a doctor say that. You know, that's, that's really encouraging. That, and well said. Anybody else? Yeah, there's hands everywhere. Go ahead. Let's, let's go this way and then over. It involves that. And, I, and it does reflect involve, uh, uh, involve that. Right. It does. Um, but, but I have learned since that that, that we are supposed to be afraid mm-hmm. for the same reasons that we're talking about. So I'm wondering, uh, so with regard to how that young man opened his prayer, to me, there's no reverence there. There's no respect. And um, I, I think that's Well, I, that's a good question. You know, if you couldn't hear the question, and, and, and what she was, Barb was saying to begin with was that she was one of those that was taught that fear doesn't mean to be afraid, but it, it's reverence, and it does involve that. And I think I'd have to do a word study to answer your question. You know, just wondering, and your question was you're wondering if there are words that, different words, some that mean, you know, be afraid and some that mean fear. From what I have seen, the words are, mean both. And I think when we tell, and it, you know, it's not incorrect to say that it, we, it means we're to have a reverence, but I think in doing so, I, th- I think what we've done is watered down. Uh, we've, we find we're always looking for a way. I know I am. We're always looking for a way to make God's word palatable. And, uh, you know, I, I, another example of that would be when, when it says, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. I've had some interesting discussions with students over that, uh, about that over the years, how we can just water that down and say, well, you know, there's, there's you know, joy is, is, is a state of being whereby happiness is an emotion. And I tell them, well, it's interesting that you say that. And that's, that's been the most common argument that students will make with me on that over the almost 30 years. And I, so I did a word study on that, and I said, okay, guys, and I put it up on the screen. Here you go. 
First, we'll start with Webster's. Definition, part of the definition of joy is happiness, and part of the definition of happiness is joy. And when you do a word study of the word joy there in James chapter 1, it's describing an emotion. So that's just a side note to say that so often we, we do tend to water it down so that we're more comfortable. And so we can just feel better about, for me, so I can feel better about being a stinker. You know. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah, you know, Michael, if there's ever a way we could, because um, we're recording this for the, for the website now, the Sunday School Lessons, if there's ever a way we could get people's comments in, into this, that, because I got to tell you guys, you know, I taught this class for about 15 years before we moved, and it was with much fear. Uh, and and it's, 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 it's back. <laughs> Because uh, th this has always been such a, a good experience for me, a challenging one, because, and I see Jeff's nodding his head because he's teaching the class too, that it is, you're not just sitting there taking it in, but, but you're, you're a group of people who are in the word. And you, you know, you're, you're contributing to this. So I think, boy, if we could have a roving mic, or not, I don't know, maybe that's going to make people not want to talk, but... But if we could have that, I think that would make these recordings just so much richer. I really appreciate your input. And it's probably what well, it is. I just looked at the time. There's absolutely no way we're going to continue on. So we'll just pick up here next time. Yeah. Okay. Oh, repeat the answer? I, I, I've thought about that, but sometimes, I mean, like, Barb, well, yeah, everything that she just said was so good, and, and I, I could... I can't remember all of it. <laughs> yes, sir. Jeff. I was just going to say that, you know, I, I could be hard on the young man and the, way he, and the way he started his prayer. Okay. But I also recognize that as we get older, we grow. We go through things with the Lord. And he, I do think that the reason as we get older that we fear the Lord more, we recognize that more, is because of the things he's taking us through, and our, our understanding of him deepens that, you know, a 20-year-old kid yeah. only knows him so much. Right. And so, you know, I'm, while I may try to help him see what that, you know, how he can change that, there's no, you know, again, I, I mentioned it last week, but I, I was thinking about you and how before, when you were here and we were at his hill, you had good stuff, you had good knowledge, you had good things to say. But over these last six years, it's not like you've learned different things about the word, but you've seen, you've experienced, and so the, the things that you knew before have a different significance to you than they did before. Mm -hmm. and, and we do do that, we, we go, I, I know these things, but as that now I live this, and now it, it becomes deeper. I understand that. I understood it before, kind of. I thought I understood it. Yeah. And I would have told you I understood it perfectly. But having experienced the things I'm that I've experienced, I understand now. I didn't understand it as well as I thought. And I recognize, even though I understand it better, I still don't understand it as right. well as I should. Yeah. Yeah. Yes.
Because that's what? I'm sorry? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that's, where, that's where this passage is going. You know, you know he, he lays out the, the need to fear. Those that don't fear are hypocrites. But now he starts to move us toward there's an assurance in fearing God. What that assurance is, and because of, because of a fear of God, it's, his faithfulness is that in Christ he brings us to a point where we don't fear anything else. So it's, it's, it's really interesting. So we'll, we'll, we'll look at that more next week, and we'll see how that develops. But I, I really I thought that was interesting as I was working through this. You know, as we live, live fearing God, we end up living a life of not being afraid. And, and then he'll go on, and he'll, he'll show us how his very presence, the very life of Christ, brings this about in no matter what situation we may be in. And he talks about that at the end of this passage where when, when you are brought before the rulers, the authorities, don't be afraid. Uh, you know, so the one who fears God has no reason to be afraid. So anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll work through that next week, okay? Any other thoughts? Yes. Oh wow! Wow, that's. Uh, she was saying that she thinks, actually, the, how how he said it is that God's will is irrelevant to this body. Oof. Yeah, yeah, Tom.
so far above us. Jordan Paul Richardson. Yeah. And he still has so much power and he still is so holy. Completely holy. Mm. And judge. Well, I think about that young man again. He may have grown up in a, in a situation where God was to be feared only. Mm-hmm. And he may, this may be a new revelation. So. Yeah. Yeah, he's yeah he's he's on a journey. He is, yeah. yeah. And I, I only use the illustration not not to judge him, but to 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 spark what's happening right here now. You know, to search our own minds, our own hearts. How do we approach the Lord? Okay. All right. Then let's pray. Jim, would you lead us, please? Thank you all for listening and participating.